that we find the baby Jesus. Um, last week, you may remember when we began this series, um, we started looking at Jesus in the womb and what it said and what it taught us in regards to his humanity. And this morning, I want us to open to Luke chapter 2 as we continue this series of following the baby Jesus everywhere he's going. We move from the womb now to the manger. or stable, or food trough. Just as we saw in Jesus being placed in the womb of Mary, we saw uh, His humanity. Uh, This morning we see His humility in that God would place His only Son down in the manger. And I want you to join me, follow please. I'm going to read Luke chapter 2, verse number 8 down through verse number 20. It says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. They returned praising and worshiping God for all the things that they had seen and that was told to them. The Bible Uh, no doubt, in this story really takes us on a journey. And one of the reasons why I wanted to, to read that text was if we're really going to do our best to appreciate the condescension of God and how low He was willing to stoop in order to reach and redeem man, then I think it's only appropriate that if we're going to study the depths in which God would go in order to send His Son, then we should also notice and recognize the height at which the angels are acclaiming. I want us to notice the height of the announcement for a moment, because what I see when I read Luke chapter 2 is an awesome, an awesome roller coaster ride, if you will. And, and when, as Jason had said, that when the angels are announcing the glory of God, this is a big deal. This is not just what the announcement was, but how it came. 
This announcement, according to the Bible, the Gospels record that these were the messengers of God, uh, the messenger of God, standing and announcing to these shepherds who were out on the fields, who were watching their flocks. And this angel is glorifying God and telling them what they can find. And, and beyond what they can find, they tell them who they're going to be able to find. And they announce with all of the glory of God, <coughs> with the heavenly hosts shouting and praising and, 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 and making much of the name of God, they announce that the babe has been born. <coughs> they announce that God in the flesh has come. Notice for just a moment. I want you to see the announcement that they give specifically in verse number 10. <coughs> it says, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. You know why he said don't be afraid? Because they were. And I imagine that if you and I would have seen that same image, we probably also would have been afraid. I think it's safe to say that the sheep scattered over that, um, but he's telling them to not be afraid. No doubt this was an awesome spectacle that they were beholding. And he says in verse 10, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. We see now the, the universality of Christ's coming and His purpose and His mission. And they say in verse 11, or he says in verse 11, For there is born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now, if we're going to study not just the depths to which God would go to put His Son into the world, but I want us again to notice the heights. Think of those three descriptions given of this Christ, given of, of the birth of Jesus in this announcement. The first one is that it says that He is a Savior. The angel has come and has announced to them that Christ indeed has come in the form of a Savior. That here is the Redeemer. Here is the one whom was promised to come to redeem uh, for the sins of the world. This is the one who has come to rescue you from the harm of sin that we have gotten ourselves in. This is the one who is truly going to right the wrong that we are unable to do. So this angel is announcing to those shepherds first that this is the Savior. <coughs> he is going to be the one who rescues us and redeems us. But he doesn't just give him the title of Savior. He also gives him the title of Christ or Messiah or the Anointed One. This was the one that they were longing to see. This is the one that they have been anticipating. This is the part of God's redemptive plan that they have been looking for greatly. And now the angel sang to the shepherds out on the field, the Savior has come, the Messiah, the long-awaited anointed one. <coughs> Excuse me. The precious one has now come. And he is born in a manger. Consider he is first called Savior. He is then called Christ. And then the angel says he is Lord. You know, <clears throat> the humanity of Christ and the humility of Christ is so beautiful to look and to study and to consider as we read the Scriptures. But one of the things that I appreciate so much in regards to the Gospels is that when we find those instances that clearly show us and depict the humanity of Christ and the humility, 
It seems as though it's very intentional by the work of the Holy Spirit that those moments of the great depictions of His humanity are offset so perfectly by another description of His holiness, of His divinity. And the great thing about understanding that is how closely they're put together. And here Luke describes the very same thing. In describing the message that the shepherds had received, they were, given, they were told that He is a Savior, that He is Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And then they go on to record that the angel said to them that He is Lord. He is the Sovereign over all things. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now before we move on, think about that message that the angels have now heard, or that the shepherds have now heard from the angels. They have seen the glory of God. They have seen this messenger. They are no doubt shaken by this image that they have seen. And and all things rolled together. This is an awesome announcement. And they hear this very regal declaration that the Savior has been born. The time appointed for the Messiah has now come. Your Redeemer, your Deliverer, the Anointed One is here. And then they hear that the Lord, God in the flesh... Has come. Thank you so much. Now, Savior, Christ, Lord. If you were to, just, if they were to just stomp right there, can you imagine what the what the shepherds would have thought as they were going and looking for this? They probably would have had this grand picture of gold and, and gold overlaid with more gold and, and light and glory and flames. And they probably would have had a much different picture in their mind than what the angel says next. He takes them to the very heights of description. The Savior, the Deliverer, the Anointed One, God Himself has been born. Therein lies the divinity of Christ. But now notice to what depths the angel then describes in verse 11. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. The Savior, the Anointed One, the Lord. Heights, majesty, glory, divinity. The angels initially take us all the way up here in their description of Christ and they leave us with this impression of some great majestic image that we might see. But then the angel, having taken the shepherds in this description all the way to the heights of the glory of God, he then says, this is going to be the sign. You're going to find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. He's going to be placed down in a stable where the animals Go. What the angels have just done is taken us from the very heights of description of the Christ child to show beyond a shadow of a doubt the great divinity of the baby that was born. And then he takes his audience from the very heights of the description of the glory of God and then brings them right down to say he is a baby, the most feeble of people, 
physically in that sense. He is wrapped in swaddling clothes. And he's placed in a stable. What an amazing, no wonder, no wonder the shepherds reply in verse 15, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass. You're telling me the King of glory, the King of kings and Lord of lords, He who literally holds and beholds the praise, the, the praise of all of the inhabitants of heaven has been born in such a lowly, meek manner. The angels start us up here as the shepherds, as they did with the shepherds, and then drag them down to show the very depths of the humanity and the humility of Christ. Consider those three descriptions for a moment. He's a babe. He has experienced in his humanity, experienced all of the necessary elements of the human existence. He was born in the flesh. He didn't just, God didn't just send his son as a full grown man right into the middle of the earth, right into the middle of our timeline. He made him subject to the timeline. God who is eternal in the heavens, who is able to span both eternity past and eternity future, He placed His Son right in the middle of the timeline and allowed Him to grow and strengthen and develop in the full extent of the necessary elements of the human existence. Then He goes on to not just to describe the humanity in that this Lord, God Himself, has now come in the flesh in the form of a baby, but then he describes that he is a baby like every other baby would have been at the time. He was a baby that was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Tightly wrapped, obviously to keep everything straight, to keep the baby feeling that, that pressure as they would from the womb and to keep them warm. What an awesome thought. What an awesome thought. I believe that when the angel is saying that you're going to find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes... I believe that that was not anything any different than you would have found with any other baby of the time. For the mother, shortly after the birth, as the baby would be clean, would begin to wrap that baby again to hold in that heat of the newborn, make them feel comfortable and, 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 and kept together. But I think that it says much about Christ. I think it says much about the plan and the mission of God. That even though that baby was divine and human at the same time, he did not rely on his divinity as a baby in order to accomplish his purpose. Even as a baby, there he was, and by God's plan and ordination, he was having to rely on others in order to tend to him and to take care of him. What an awesome plan that God had to send his son to those caring people to take care of, his mother Mary and the man who stood in as his earthly father, Joseph, to tend and to take care of and to, and to meet the needs, the physical needs of that baby as Christ was growing and developing as a person. I want you to notice the third description. He was not just a baby. This is introduction, by the way, for those of you that are wondering when that's going to change. First is that he was a baby. Second was he was looking, he would have looked like any other baby of the time, except the third description comes in. He was lying in a manger lying in a stable. 
Manger is, is translated several different ways. Some believe that the manger represents the actual stable in which Christ was in. Or some have even believed that it is translated differently in that it is not just the stable in which the animals were, but that the manger represented the feed, the food trough that the baby was laid in. Now, we often in our, in our pictures of the manger... Um, our nativity scenes that we may, uh, we often have these constructed wooden mangers or shelters, um, and we usually have an, an animal here and an animal there in the nativity scene, and we usually have some straw strung around everywhere, and, and then in the middle of it, of course, with all of the other players in the story, we have Christ who is right at the center of that scene. And even though we are most familiar with the wooden structure, it's believed that it was not so much a wooden structure, but more of a cave type of a cavern that was that was in the side of a mountain or in that rocky terrain and and those animals would go down into that cave that was made it's even believed that the manger the food trough itself would have could have been a hollowed out type of a rock structure that was used now it could have been wood either way and i'm not saying that to say that if it was indeed a cave our 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 nativity scenes are wrong the the type of structure that jesus was in is not really the emphasis in the story. The emphasis is not in what housed him. The emphasis is what was in the house. The emphasis is what did the house serve as. And if you think about it, not only do the angels say that he is a babe, being treated as other babies would be of the time, the angel drops us down to the very lowest possible point to say that this baby is placed is put in a place where really no other baby would be. Not in a home. Not in a normal, suitable structure we would imagine. But that this baby was placed in the place where the animals go. What the angels have just done is taken us from the very heights of the description of the glory of God and dropped us all the way down to the very depths of the human experience. And I want us to see for something, I want us to see three things this morning as we look at the manger, what it was, what it represented. And the first thing is this morning is it was perfect. It was perfect. Now what do I mean when I say it was perfect? Obviously it was drafty. Obviously it smelled. Now, Pastor, you're telling me that this drafty, smelly place... By the way, I, you know, I think about something now. You know, since last year when there was Journey to Bethlehem, you all remember Journey to Bethlehem? Do you remember who the, who the baby Jesus was last year? Uh, it was my youngest. And we placed him in this, this little uh, food trough that was full of straw. And if you remember, he, he kind of stuck out over the ends. He was a, he was a little old if... if if I'll tell you that if Mary would have given birth to that, a baby that size, it would have been a very difficult donkey ride back home, um, for sure. But let me say this. Let me say this. I learned something, and I don't know if, I don't know if this has any relevance to the story of Jesus, which should, one should wonder why I'm even saying this then. But when we had Hyatt asleep in that crib, you know, we, he came down with the worst allergies after that. And it just made me appreciate the story of Jesus being laid in that, 
in that, in that stable there where the rest of those animals were because my son apparently has hay fever, has, has allergies, and straw's not good for him. And yet Jesus was there, uh, God himself, God in the flesh, and God the Father placed him right there in that place that would have been drafty. It would have been smelly. It wouldn't have been the most beautiful, luxurious, lush, plush place that one could imagine. And yet God dipped down into the very depths of the human experience to place His Son. And it's perfect. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, Peter says that God foreordained this plan before the foundation of the world. Now think about this. When I say perfect, that God foreordained the plan of His Son before the foundation of the world. Now that blows me away. That God had in place His plan to redeem fallen man before man had ever been created and before man had ever fallen. You see, this was not an accident. It was not a surprise. But every detail down to the very smallest, most minute aspect of this, I believe, was all ordained by God. In that God did not miss a moment. And I believe that everything in that story somehow communicates because it was foreordained, it was planned, and God had all eternity to lay out His awesome plan to tell the world 400 years after the silence was over that I have not forgot you. I have come to make my plan happen. It was perfect. And I want us to notice some of the characteristics that make it thus. Notice this. It was providential. Second thing, it was providential. Not just perfect in that God did not leave anything without a picture. Did not, did not leave anything unmet, any need unmet. Consider this. Even though Mary and Joseph probably would have liked a little better place to have their baby... No doubt they probably would have liked and appreciated maybe a little nicer place. Maybe a room at the end wouldn't have been so much to ask. But even though it was not, this, this did not come about in the way that they would have expected or liked, they still lacked nothing. And you know, I think about this in my life, that, that the lesson of the birth of Jesus is not just the lesson about the birth of God's redemptive plan that He had planned before the foundation of the world, but it also reminds me as a believer that you know what, as I serve and as I labor and as you serve and labor for the Lord in your own sphere of influence and in your own way, using your own gifts that God has given you to glorify His name, as you continue to serve Him, you're going to find out that, that ministry is difficult. That serving God, that being a leader in your family, that being, being a godly man or a godly woman, that bearing the name of Christ is difficult work, and it's not always the way we expect it to happen. The things happen, and maybe we would have wanted them to turn out a different way. But what I can look back at the story of the birth of Jesus was that even though it happened in a way that would definitely be different than I would have expected it, they never lacked what they needed. God provided. This manger birth was providential. It sheltered them. It kept him warm. It provided a very important location for God to bring all of the necessary players down to witness the birth of His Son in His plan of redemption. Your walk with the Lord and the effects of your walk with the Lord 
the difficulties and struggles that are, that are bound to come and that do come in serving Him and in attempting to walk with Him. You may not always be, that journey may not always be the way that you expect it, but the one good thing is that you have not slipped the Savior's eye. You have not gone out of His vision. He is fully aware of what you're going through, and I believe He still remains faithful and true to provide and to work all things together for the good to those who love Him and are the called according to His purpose. Amen? Notice this last thing, this third thing this morning. It was not just perfect in that God had all eternity to make it happen, to plan it down to the minute detail. It was not just uh, this providential in that He had everything that He needed to have in order to survive, but it was a picture. Third and final thing, it was a picture. And this is what I love so much about this story are all of the pictures that God places and all of the foreshadowings that God places in that manger, all of the declarations of who He is in that manger. You see, the, way, the manner in which He was born, it was also a picture of His manner of life. Zechariah 9.9, which is also quoted in Matthew chapter 21 at the triumphal entry, tells us that Jesus was meek and lowly. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 8 that when he comes to a man and tells him to follow him, Jesus says, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In the same manner in which he was born was also the same manner in which he lived. Did not have a home. Meek, lowly, humble. That birth was not just that that nativity scene was not just where it began, but it was emblematic of the life and of the steps that Jesus took. No wonder the common people heard him gladly. No wonder people pressed about to hear him because he was different, because he was one of them, not just dwelling among them, but being like them. Notice the second thing. It wasn't just a picture of his manner of life, but it was a picture of his mission on earth. It was a picture of his mission on earth. I can't help but notice the similarities. Think with me for just a moment. If our nativity scenes are right, if Bible scholars and theologians and studiers of God's word are right, then God's Son was placed not just in a stable where animals lived, but if they're right, he was placed in a food trough. Now think with me for just a moment of what an awesome picture God painted when those shepherds came. Not just seeing God. Not just seeing that glory. But seeing God's Son placed in the very vessel that was used to nourish the animals. Then they said to Him, Lord, 
give us this bread always. And Jesus said in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. What an awesome picture. They walk into the manger. They, they see Mary and Joseph and their center stage. In that feed trough lies the one who is responsible for nourishing us spiritually. There he was in that same vessel that was used to provide nourishment for the animals that live there. Here God is painting on a micro level what he is doing in his son. Placing him right down into the dirty, the filthy, right in the middle of all of these animals and right in the midst of all of those animals he places and lowers his son right into the very food trough jesus indeed is our spiritual nourishment he meant what he said when he said i am the bread of life if we do not eat of jesus we will not live we may live a physical existence but if we do not eat of the bread of life, we will never have the eternal life that He came to offer. And here was Jesus, the bread of life, lowered down into the vessel that was used as the nourishment for food. I thought of something else. Two different ideas of what that food trough would have been. Some assumed that it was stone that was kind of hollowed out a bit. Some believed that it was wooden. And I guess really the structure of it is not so important as what was normally placed in the trough. Whether it was stone or wood is probably irrelevant to the next thing. That When I started thinking about that awesome food trough, that Jesus was laid in. I started to think about something. Everything that that food trough had ever seen before was dead. All of the grain had been pulled up from the ground. In fact, all of the kernels had been separated from the shaft. All of the shaft had been separated. It had gone through the process in order so that the animals could feast on it. And there was never a living thing that was placed in that trough. And here, what another wonderful picture of Jesus. That he, as that baby, by God's own plan, is placed down not just in that which was made to nourish those animals, as he is also made to nourish us, spiritually but he was the first living thing to be placed in something that had previously only housed dead only housed dead grain jesus said in john 11 25 and 26 i am the resurrection and the life he who believes in me though he may die shall live and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus came right into the midst of our dead and dying world. Came right into the middle of our dead lives. And He became the very first living thing to those who believe. You see, we look around and we see buildings and structures. But I promise you, not only is everything we see and come in contact with dead and dying, but it's built of that which is dead 
and dying. One day all things that we see will pass away and they will melt with fervent heat. But the one thing that will not melt with fervent heat nor pass away is that which is done in Christ, for it abides forever. Jesus came right down into the middle of our dirty world, came right down in the middle and sat in that food trough to be our spiritual nourishment, to show his manner of life and his mission for the world. I want to show you one last thing. He was not just food and nourishment. He was not just life and that which previously housed only death and dead things. He was also light in the darkness. Consider for a moment, it was nighttime when Jesus arrived. And the light was used to draw and to bring and to invite those who would come to behold this miracle. Jesus didn't just come to the dirty in the world. He didn't just come right down in the middle to be our spiritual nourishment. He didn't just come to be life. But the Bible tells us that He came to be light. Behold, those who sat in darkness have indeed seen a great light. I want to read to you out of John chapter 8, verse number 12. In the great I Ams, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows Me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. This manger was not just a picture of the humility of Jesus, but I believe it was also a picture of His mission on earth. And think with me for one last point. As we flip the page in this picture book that God has painted for us, let me share one more quick observation with you. There are throughout the Christmas story pictures of God's mission which was not to simply send Christ, but the purpose that God had for Christ was that He would die for the sins of the world. There was nothing redemptive in His birth. The redemptive work came through His finished work on the cross. So it would only be fitting that God would also place in the birth of His Son maybe a possible foreshadowing of the purpose for which He came. Think with me for just one moment. Based off of what the Bible tells us about where Jesus was, it was either a cave or a wooden structure. Let's assume for a moment that it was a cave, a cavern that Jesus was in. Picture with me for a moment that Jesus was wrapped tightly and placed in a cave. Can you think of any other moment in Jesus' life where He would have been wrapped tightly and placed in a cave? Beyond the instrument, beyond the vessels that the wise men used which were that brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which of those were often used for embalming. Think of that unique scenario that God would have His Son wrapped oh so tightly and placed if it was in a cave. It is possible that Jesus left this world physically in the same manner in which He came. What an awesome thing 
that the redemptive work of Christ can be seen in his death, even in the very, very beginning. You see, at his death, there were few that came to the tomb. And at his birth, there were few who came to witness it. Isn't that amazing? This most remarkable event, 400 years in the making, we could argue eternally in the making. And yet an event so large at the moment it happened, it barely made a ripple on the streets of Bethlehem. More people would have walked by and by far more people were unaware of what had taken place and what had transpired than than, than those that were aware. And you know, I can't help but think of the similarities today. Just like those shepherds knew what happened. They believed what was told to them and they responded in faith and obedience. They heard, they believed, and they responded. And while all the rest of Bethlehem, while all the rest of Judea lay fast asleep or unaware or unconcerned or unknowing of the great event that took place, there was no denying it to the shepherds. And one of the things that I think is so great is that the manger, if you think about this, it does not just represent his life, his manner of life, his mission of life, and even possibly give us a foreshadowing of the purpose of his death. But if you think about it, God did not send his son to be born behind closed doors. He didn't send his son to be locked away where no one could come in contact with him, but he was accessible. And today, praise God, Jesus is still accessible. God God did not just reveal His Son, but invited the world to come and know Him. And you know the great thing? Those who did come, those who were there, those who did witness the birth or the young Christ, were there by invitation. The shepherds had received the invitation from the angels. The wise men had followed his star in the sky. Without their dependence on the star or the direction and description of the angel, they never would have made it. And today I want to ask you something very important. For some, it may be the most important question you will ever hear in your life Do you know Jesus Christ? Personally, he stands today accessible. He's not hiding from you. We hide from him because of our sins. We run from the light. He doesn't hide from us all throughout the Bible. He has been in the process. He has been participating in revealing himself to the world. And you know what? What is huge to us? What is humbling to us. What is awesome to us. We see acted out in very real ways. Many people going about their daily life unconcerned with the divine event. And I pray this morning, I pray this morning, that God, just like He did with the shepherds, has blown up right in the middle of your life and has announced the accessibility and invited you to come and meet His Son personally as Savior and Lord. 
I believe today for many, this may not be the first time that you felt that drawing, that tugging, that pulling of God to introduce you to His Son. I'm sure you felt it before. Today the question would be, will you respond? Will you yield? Will you not just hear the gospel message, the good news? Will you believe it and will you respond? Today is indeed the day of salvation. Father, I thank You that You showed us a perfect, perfect plan. You showed us Your humility. You showed us the manner of life. You showed us His purpose. And You made Him accessible to all. And today, Lord, You still stand inviting drawing people to your son Jesus. And we pray today, Lord, that you are continuing that process in our midst. For those that do not know him as Savior, that today would be the day that they yield to that leadership of your Holy Spirit on their life and they would say, I want to know Christ as my Savior. And Father, I pray, Lord, for those of us that are going through life that we would remember that Jesus is our spiritual nourishment and that we would feast on his word that we would grow in our relationship with Him and that we would be oh so thankful that He came to the earth for us, that we may know Him. We pray this morning that You would move in an awesome way. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand together this morning.